Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Okay, guys, so today's guest is currently the host of the Mindful Midlife Crisis. This is a podcast for navigating the complexities and possibilities of life's second half. He spent 21 years as an educator, but became disenfranchised due to budding mental health issues and unrelenting social media harassment from his students. In 2021, he left his job as Dean of Students in order to travel the world and search for more meaningful life experiences. But after an emotional breakdown in Korea, his path in life became crystal clear to him and he's been focused on navigating his own big life crisis more mindfully and he's now helping others to do the same by using his life experiences as a guide for others to reflect, learn and grow. Billy La, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Simon. It's wonderful to be here. No worries. Thank you so much for joining me. We were meant to do this a couple of weeks ago, but it didn't happen. I've had to uh, reschedule, but awesome that we've been able to tee this off. So this is excellent. I just wanted to start from the beginning. I wanted to tell us your story. I'll do this with everyone that comes on. So the whole lead up, just from childhood, going through school, becoming a dean, and then the realization that I need something else here. And it all went from there. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I lucked out and I figured out that being a teacher was the right fit for me when I was young, when I, when I was started college, I originally went for computer programming and I didn't know anything about computer programming outside of my brother-in-law worked for Microsoft and he made good money. So I thought that that was a good idea. And I like to play around on the computer. I like to type stories, right? I spent a lot of my time like typing stories and that sort of thing and being on Excel spreadsheet and thinking that, uh, that that meant that I was good with computers in about two weeks into Fortran programming and calculus, which were required entry-level courses for being a computer programmer, I realized that I was in over my head, and I was probably going to fail out of college if I didn't figure out what it was that, that I was good at. And after two weeks at being at uh, the University of Minnesota Duluth here in the United States, I went back home on a Thursday, actually, and so I just skipped class on a Friday. But I just had one class on a Friday. And I talked to my baseball coach who was a health teacher and I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm back in town. Can I pop in and visit you during school tomorrow? He's like, yep, come on in. So went in, visited him. And I said, well, what are you guys learning about today? And he said, we're talking about the top 10 leading causes of death in the United States. And I'm like, I remember that from three years ago. And he said, well, do you want to teach it today? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So he let me get up and facilitate this conversation with, the sophomores in, in his, this class. And you know, I grew up in a small town. A lot of those kids who were in his class, I had coached during baseball or my family knew their family or something, you know, it's kind of one of those situations. And when I got done, I went over to him and I was like, ah, that was a lot of fun. And he said, have you ever thought about being a teacher? And I'm like, I am now. And I had always loved reading and writing and English was my favorite course 
in high school and I decided to go back to my college the next week and I changed my major from computer programming to secondary English education. And what's funny is when I went back to my 10-year high school reunion, a classmate of mine came up to me and said, you know, Laura, I'm not surprised that you became a teacher. I could have told you in third grade that you were going to become a teacher. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And when I look back on my life experiences, I think about all the coaching that I did. And, you know, I, I like being in front of a crowd. I actually feel more comfortable in front of 20 people than I do two people. Just that, I mean, I've given presentations to three, four, 500, 800 kids before, and I felt very comfortable doing that. And I, I, mean, I think I lucked out in the sense that I always had an audience for of 30 people each and every single day for 15 years. And then I transitioned to a, a dean of students position. And that, that was, that was, right? can, can you just tell us what is the big difference? Obviously it would be like chalk and cheese, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I was no longer in the classroom and I was dealing with students one-on-one -on -one primarily about their discipline and their academics. So I was always delivering bad news. I was delivering bad news to students. I was delivering bad news to parents. You know, when you're the dean of students, I mean, they make movies about the dean of students, yeah. and the dean of students is never the good guy in any of those movies. He's always the villain in those movies, and that's what I had become. And, you know, students you know, it's, it's this day and age. So they went to social media and, and just bombarded me with, with their, their hate, you know, that kind of thing. And listen, I, I was a tough Dean cause I had high expectations for them in terms of their behavior and their academics, but I wanted the best for them, but I just got tired of, of being the bad guy. So in, in 2020, I, I had always, I'd always wanted to travel abroad. And I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So, you know, the opportunity was there. I was making good money in education. I, you know, I, a great place to live. I enjoy Minnesota when it's, when it's not snowing. It's beautiful here in the summer or in the fall, but, you know, in the winter, I, it's no fun. But I had always wanted to travel and, uh, and, but I, I had a dog at that time. So in April 2020, my dog passed away and I was like, okay. Now I have this opportunity to travel. So I had a whole year to plan it all out. And I took a, a leave of absence from my job. And was my original plan was to go to Thailand and then for a month, Japan for six weeks and Korea for six weeks. But then COVID got in the way of that because those countries weren't open. So I looked to see what was open. Portugal was open. And I've always wanted to go to Portugal. And I spent two months in Portugal I took a bus to Spain and spent two weeks in Spain. My goal is to paddleboard off the coast of every continent, and I happened to find a cheap flight from Madrid to Dakar, Senegal, and I spent a few days at a surf camp on Engor Island off the coast of Sen off the coast of Senegal, off the coast of Dakar, paddleboarded off the coast of Africa, and then you know kind of zipped around a little bit the United States, went to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and then went to Korea for three months. And, you know, I was just really enjoying myself and getting into adventures, but I never looked at it as a, as an eat, pray, love kind of spiritual journey. It wasn't anything like that. It was just, I wanted to have 
these travel experiences. I wanted to see these things. But then in the last two weeks that I was in Korea, I had met this hiking group when I was in Seoul and they're called the soul walkers. And they're just a group of amazing people. And you just go on these hikes. I mean, Seoul is in the mountains. It's built within the mountains, which I didn't really realize. And you just take the subway to the mountains and boom, you're on the trailhead and you're zipping on up. So I did a lot of hiking when I was in Seoul with this group. And I just bonded with them so closely that it made me start to realize that for so much of my life, particularly in relationships, I have been pursuing people and opportunities that do not reciprocate the same time and energy that I was putting in to them. And it was making me really unhappy because, and I didn't realize this about myself, is that I'm a people pleaser. I didn't realize that about myself. And, and trust me, no one at work will tell you that I'm a people pleaser. But out in my personal life, I really was a people pleaser, and it was leading to a lot of unhappiness. And so I've been really working on, and I've been really focused on, making sure that I spend my time and energy and putting that towards people who reciprocate that back to me so that I am not losing any more time and energy and sleep on people who don't give a shit you know, about wh- what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. It's like spending time with people that, you know, they vibrate on a low frequency or they're complaining all the time. They seem to just rob you of all this energy. So it's, it's difficult, especially if you're on a path. If you're like that, then, yeah, no problem. You can talk all day until the cows come home. But, I mean... If you're trying to move away from that when you're moving towards something else, then there's got to be an equal and fair exchange. That's what I found, you know, in my time transitioning the way I have. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. So it's it's so interesting that you say that. So really, you took off a year. So you have this year off. And then I'm assuming at some point there was a realization there because you've got this job and you've got to go back to this job. You're the dean, you're the top dog. When did that come and what happened after that? That actually, I resigned from that position actually in November of 2021. And when I had come back from my time in Portugal, Europe, and Dakar, because, you know, there just wasn't going to be a way for me to transition back into that position. And there was a lot of fear around that because then it was like okay now what yeah now what am i going to do because you know i remember my dad telling me one time i hope you're a really good teacher because you will starve if you have to do anything else yeah, okay <laughs> and i was like and, I, yeah. and you know he said it very lovingly yeah. <laughs> my, my dad's kind of like rodney dangerfield in every movie so i didn't really didn't take it too personally but i i really started to put a lot of pressure on the production value of the podcast, The Mindful Midlife Crisis. And I started looking at what these people were doing on social media. And we talked to uh, Greg Scheiman, episode 41, The Midlife Male. And one of the things that he says is, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. 
And that's what I was doing is that I was comparing myself to all these people on social media who had all these audiograms and had all these nifty graphics that went along. And that's not me. Like I'm not a graphics guy at all. I'm not an editor at all when it comes to making things visually appealing. That's just not me. And I was trying to get good at that and, and trying to maintain a show that that I was proud of and I was burning myself out. So if you listen to what's interesting is if you listen to season five of our of our show, I I know that when I listen to it, I can hear it in my voice, like the distress that's there and the the gray areas that I was trying to navigate in terms of like, what am I going to do for money? Where am I going to live? Like, I, I'm, I, who, who am I going to spend time with? Like, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in this, in this relationship, but it's not reciprocating. And it's a, how do I let that go? That kind of thing. So I was really distressed. And, and what I, another thing that I found interesting is when we talk to, we always do a season recap with our friend, Matt Hazard. And I did my summer sessions just to kind of recap the the trip that I had been on from January to the end of June. And I set it up in the way where you could, where I, I, I kind of set up the, the distress. I mean, that's the English teacher in me. I set it up like it was a story. And then when we talked to Matt, an observation that Matt made was, I can hear it in the weight in your voice that you are lighter, that you are happy, that you are focused, that you are moving forward, that these things that were weighing you down emotionally that you were trying to navigate, you've let them go a little bit. And that's not to say that I have things figured out right now because I'm, I'm far from it. Yeah. But I am very much somebody who... I like structure. I like routine. I like knowing the expected. So right now I am dealing with a lot of uncertainty, but I'm dealing with it in such a healthy way yeah. that it's not weighing me down and making me miserable like it was back in January, February, March. Can I ask you a question? I just want to go back a little bit. The podcast itself, so the Mindful Midlife Crisis, when did you actually start that? Because for the last few minutes you've been speaking about, obviously you've started it, so you're in the process of doing it. You started this before you left your job, before you put the resignation in. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I started it in February of 2021. So we've been going now for 18 months we have about 70 something episodes out there. We try, we've been putting them out once a week pretty routinely here. Every Wednesday a new episode comes out. And we I approached my friend Brian and cuz I'll I'll talk about this a little bit later too, but I I had this idea in my head of the mindful midlife crisis. I I really liked that title and I'm like I need to do something with this. And that it was going to be the next great American novel. And I just couldn't put it into words. And I had been getting into podcasts. And I was like, huh, 
I think I could do this. Like I enjoy being on a microphone. I've never shied away from a karaoke stage. So maybe I can do this with, with a podcast. It's really not any different than, than teaching. But I wanted to have someone to do it with me. And so I asked my friend Brian, and I said, hey, man, you know, I'm, I want to start this podcast that addresses things that people in, in, at middle age have to face, particularly when it comes to mental health. And he was like, that sounds awesome. Not enough guys are out there having these conversations around mental health. Let's do it. So we you know, put together some scripts, and then I started outlining things, and it actually felt like I was back into lesson planning mode, which was something that I actually missed, which I didn't realize. Like I, 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 I like putting together a lesson plan and I like delivering a lesson plan. And the best part about being in a podcast is that you don't have to correct any of the material that comes to you. You can just plan, record, and yeah. go from there. And, and we've just had so much fun doing it. And you know, starting in October, I'm actually taking the show solo because Brian just has too many things going on where I, you know, I'm, I'm not working right now. Brian is the president of his company. He's got two bands. He's got three kids. He's got a loving wife. Brian has a lot of responsibilities. And so we just said, Hey, you know, I want to continue pursuing this and I want to be able to do it on my own time. Are you cool with that? And, And he said, dude, I've been waiting for you to take this over for a few months. I just have so much fun doing it with you, but you've got it. Just go for it. So it's, it's going to be a, a different feel, a different tone in October when we start up with the interviews again. Right now in September, we're just doing uh, meditations just to kind of keep everybody engaged a bit and, and anticipating this new upcoming season, which should be season six for us. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome, mate. It's, it's, Refreshing to hear that you can actually you started this thing while you still were technically you're a dean and you've started the podcast so you've done it on the side and it's just grown obviously the concept's grown and then you've been able to just transition into it and there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment there's no doubt about that and that's going to bring me to my next question so there are a lot of people a lot of people that listen to this podcast who. They want to do something else. They definitely want change. They want to move their life in a different direction. They're paralyzed by fear. They're paralyzed by anxiety. They don't know how to sort of move forward or navigate their way through that. What advice could you give to people in that situation? Yeah, it's you know, when you emailed me, you asked me for three tips, and and these three immediately came to mind because these are things that that I've been doing because I've been there. I've been paralyzed by fear. I've, I've been stuck. So the first thing that I would do is I would script particularly the first 60 to 90 minutes of your day and script the last 60 minutes of your day. So I I take this from Bill Walsh, who was a San Francisco 49ers head coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. And they would script the first like 24 plays of their game, right? And there was flexibility within that, but they would stick to that script as much as they possibly could as long as the situations allowed it. And they had, you know, alternative plans if they if they came up. But since I got back from and 
even when I was, even before I, I went traveling, I was the most productive when I had my first 60 to 90 minutes of my morning scripted out. So when I wake up, the first thing I do is I go take a shower and because I don't drink coffee. So that a shower to me is what wakes me up. That's what gets my, I, a nice hot shower because you know, I like, I just like warming up my body under the water like that. And then I go and I down a big glass of water and I take my vitamins and then I down a big protein shake and then go straight to the gym. And I do like a 20 minute mobility routine because I'm 45 and I'm getting old and rickety and things aren't moving as well. So I need to lube up the joints. And then I, I strength train three days a week and I do what I call a reset recovery workout, which is just kind of small muscles because my neck hurts from head banging for too many years. <laughs> so I'm always trying to, you know, keep that strong and keep my shoulders strong because that's been affected from all the head banging that I did when I was in my twenties and early thirties. And then I do like a, and then twice a week I'll do a, a hit workout. So yeah, I'm working out seven days a week, but the intensity of it is, is it varies. varies and yeah. if I need a, if I need a day off, then I'll take a day off. You know what I mean? Or if I need to go light, I'll go light. But I need to be in that routine. So then when I come back from the gym, I take another shower because I'm all sweaty. And then you know, I sit down and I eat oatmeal. And I eat the same oatmeal recipe each and every single day. It's oatmeal with cinnamon and cayenne and maybe a little bit of syrup if i if i think of it and a big scoop of peanut butter and strawberry jam mix it together every single day i don't get sick of it i i just eat it every single day and then once that's done i'm ready to start my day that is my routine each and every single morning if i start my day that way it sets the tone for the rest of the day now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that people need to do exactly that. Yeah. Yep. But it would be why you need some movement. I think I could improve on getting outside earlier in the day, especially now in Minnesota. It's, it's nice out. I should really try and get some sunlight, that kind of thing. But I would suggest to people that they do some sort of movement, some sort of flow. If people want to follow me on Instagram at mindful underscore midlife underscore crisis, sometimes I'll do lives where I, I do the flow and then people can join with me in the morning um, and, and getting that big glass of water, making sure because you wake up and you're dehydrated, get that big glass of water in, maybe get two big glasses of water and, and, and start your day that way. Maybe spend some time in meditation. I used to do a lot more meditation than I do now. But that's something that I want to get back into, and it's something that I try and work into the last 60 minutes of my day, too, because that is also scripted. So I'm, you know, I do a little stretching and foam rolling each and every single evening. We're recording in the evening now, so when we're done with this, I'm going to go and do that because that's how I wind down from the day. And I think having that kind of structure and allowing some flexibility in that structure, but having that kind of structure in your day will set you on a path. It's, it's fewer decisions that you need to make in the day because yeah. you just know that this is how I'm starting my day. 
So if you start your day knowing it's going to start the exact same way, it's fewer decisions that you need to make in the morning so that when you do sit down to start working, you're already in autopilot mode and then you can attack. It's like, it's kind of like you've warmed up the engine a little bit without exhausting yourself in thought. So then uh, the next piece of advice that I have is if you're stuck, you have to network and you have to find people who will either be your cheerleaders or will be your support. That's why I started the podcast with Brian because I was stuck. I, I couldn't get this thing going by myself. I didn't feel comfortable starting it by myself. I, there was a level of imposter syndrome that I was facing there. And so I knew that Brian would be a good co-host. So I reached out to him and he he crushed it. And then now I'm transitioning into this coaching program with my friend Jill Daler. And I'll send you the link to that so that yeah. uh, you can include it in the show notes if people are interested in learning more about that. But it's called Reflect, Learn, Grow. And I had this idea for coaching in my head and I, I'm like, oh God, I don't know that I can do this by myself. So I reached out to Jill and I was like, hey, I've got this idea for a coaching program. Are you interested in it? And and Jill responded very quickly and literally her text said, fuck yes, because yeah. that's the kind of person that Jill is. That's how she rolls. Yep. So we have we have teamed up and like I feel empowered because I know that I have somebody who will back me up and I've got her back and we are working together. Now, if you're not a social person, I would strongly recommend checking out Jordan Harbinger, who is a podcast legend. He's my favorite podcast host. Jordan Harbinger has what's called the six minute networking course. So if you just Google Jordan Harbinger, six minute networking, you'll find it. It's absolutely free and it coaches you how to network, how to reconnect with people who are in your phone that maybe you haven't talked to in two, three years so that it feels more natural because he always says, uh, you know, start digging the well before you get thirsty. So you just want to make those connections because you just never know. And that's the position that I'm in right now is that I'm trying to reach out to old connections in a genuine way in hopes that we can spark something again. And, and if they know of an opportunity or if they know someone who might be a good fit for the program, or if they know someone who might enjoy the podcast, it feels more natural for them to, to recommend it as opposed to like, Hey, I know we haven't talked in three years, but I've got this podcast. Could you, take a listen or, Hey, I, I haven't talked to you in three years and I'm looking for a job and you work at this company. Can you put in a recommendation for me? Well, you haven't talked to me in three years. How do you know, you know, what, what was my last impression that I, that I left on you? So it teaches you how to do that. So I would recommend that. And then lastly, and this is coming from someone who is a perfectionist. I am absolutely a perfectionist and it prevents me Oftentimes from moving forward with things, sometimes you just got to do the damn thing. And just, it, it, it might be terrible and that's okay. That is okay because you sit back, you reflect, 
you learn and you grow from however terrible it was so that maybe the next time you do it, it's a little less terrible. And then it, it goes from terrible to not that good, but then it goes to kind of good and you just keep getting better and better and better at it as long as you take the time to reflect, learn, and grow each time that you do something. If you listen to those first few episodes of our podcast, they are terrible. They <laughs> are terrible. In fact, when That's I bad. suggest yeah, when I suggest episodes to people, I always say start with episode 19 yeah. because I'll tell you what, the first 18 aren't great. We have a couple in there that are good. Episode four is good. Episode 10 is good. Episode 11 is good. Then just skip to episode 19 because four of 19 are good. (laughs) So it's just what, but, but we had to do it. We had to figure it out. And, and I get, we recorded the first, I don't know, first, second, third episodes. We recorded those four or five times. And I just wasn't happy with any of them. And, but each time we learned and, and what was really refreshing is Brian, we call him Brian on the bass because he plays bass in every band in the twin cities. Brian was like, Hey man, this is just band practice. This is all this is. Mm. So we're going to, we're going to figure out our voice and we're going to figure out the way that this is going to go. And, and then we'll put it out there. And that was really refreshing for me to hear because I am a perfectionist. And I was like, you're right. We don't have to get this right on the first try. We can make mistakes and we can learn from these mistakes and we can grow from these mistakes. And now we we have a podcast that that I'm really proud of and we're getting some, you know, pretty impressive guests. And as as far as I'm concerned, we're getting some pretty impressive guests. And it's it's still a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that. You spoke about, so you've spoken about three things. You've spoken about structure to start your day. You've spoken about networking or what I like to call building a circle. So reaching out to new people, guys. This is something that habitually we love to hang around people that are like us. But ironically, if we're in a situation where we want to change path, it's going to be impossible to do that if we continue to hang around the same people. So I'm not saying we don't have to cut anyone off or anything like that. It's just add some diversity to the groups that you associate yourself with. There's many ways to do this. It's probably never been easier, to be honest, because of social media and and things like that. There are many groups you can join just from the comfort of your own home. So it's pretty easy to do that these days. But also the last thing you said as well, the, the perfection mentality. I mean, there's a saying that, you know, imperfect action is better than thinking about perfect action, you know? So you just got to do it. And what, this is one thing I've struggled with tremendously. It's because, and I believe this is my theory anyway, when you start school, when you go to school, the objective is you do a test, you've got to get so many right. Or if you get something wrong, you get marked down, you get the cross. So you don't want to make a mistake. Already there's a negative connotation attached to making a mistake or failing. Now, schools are getting better at this. My wife's a school teacher, and we often have this discussion, but the reality is if we don't start, and even when I started this podcast, and you know, I'm only like 15, 16 episodes in, I mean, even from episode one to, to now, to what I'm doing today, it's just they're poles apart already. And in another 15 or 20 episodes time, 
it's going to be different because I'm going to find my niche. I'm going to find what's going to work better for me, my style. I'm going to communicate better to, to my guests as well. So it's just part of the deal. You're going to suck. That's it. You, you know, don't... like my, my best friend is Dr. Michael Collins and Dr. Michael Collins has his PhD in forensic neuropsychologist. He is an expert witness in the state of Florida, some of the cases that he sends me are just wild because I'm like, how can you be in the same room with some of these people? Because the things that they are doing are just dastardly. But he once told me that a professor shared with him that, you know what, Mike, bees make PhDs. And Mike was like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, you just need to maintain a B average all the way through and you can earn your PhD. So stop stressing out so much about being perfect. Bees make PhDs. And ever since he told me that, you have no idea how many students I have shared that with who struggle with perfection. And it's always something I like to come back to when I'm struggling with perfection as well, is that bees make PhDs. <laughs> it's so true, man. I mean, it's you've just got to start. You've got to do it. And if we can just get our head around that and if we can be comfortable, I don't know it's an old saying, but being comfortable being uncomfortable, put yourself in a new situation because ultimately you're going to have to change something. It doesn't have to be something massive, but you've got to make some tiny shift to whatever it is you're doing now in the hope that your outcome is going to change, you know? So I think it's, it's great advice. So the three things, I just want to recap it. So structure was the first one. Then we had networking or circle. And then the last one was really taking action or just actually imperfect action, putting yourself out there, having a go, doing something that you would normally hesitate to do. And what I found as well, Billy, that just gives tremendous confidence to me. Every single time I do something that I'm hesitant to do, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know, you share your experience with us, but I feel just a, a surge of energy and confidence. I feel so much better about myself every time once I've executed it, regardless of how it turned out, because I'm basing my my effort, my worth on actually doing that thing, not the actual result of that thing. So they're two different things. Yeah. And, you know, there are people out there who may be risk averse. And I don't like the saying, get outside your comfort zone, because I look at it from a neurological standpoint in the sense that getting outside of your comfort zone oftentimes activates our fight, flight, or fright response. So that's difficult to do. So I have tweaked it and say, stretch out the pizza dough of your comfort zone. So, you know, just kind of push that out just a little bit and, and go to the edge of that pizza dough. Just stretch it out just a little bit. I'll give you an example. Like I... Never in my lifetime thought that I would, would skydive. I still have not been skydiving, but when I was in Puerto Vallarta, I went parasailing and I went zip lining. And those exhilarating experiences have now convinced me that maybe, just maybe, I could jump out of a plane <laughs> with someone strapped to my back as long as they ensure that I land safely. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but but again, those experiences kind of pushed out that pizza dough of my comfort zone, and it, you just had to kind of put your faith in that everything was going to work out, and and 
and you find that, oh, you know what? The, the anticipation and the thought and the narrative that I was spinning in my head was far worse than the actual experience. In fact, the actual experience was beautiful and rewarding and exhilarating and fulfilling. So, you know, you, you just got to get out there and, and, and do it. And I understand that it's, it's easier said than done. So then just take baby steps. Or like I said, find someone who's a cheerleader and someone who's going to do it with you and who will encourage you along the way. Or maybe they do it first and they're like, hey, come along, you, you can do this. It's kind of like swimming at the deep end of the pool when you were a kid. You know, you just kind of wait out there and maybe you have a friend who says, come along, man, I've got you. I'm going to take good care of you. That's your resources. Those are your networks. That's why you got to reach out to those people because they'll take care of you. That's exactly right, man. And someone explained it to me like this as well. If you're, if you want to get fit, you're not going to run a marathon on your first day. You're not going to go to the gym and bench, you know, 200 pounds on your first attempt. You got to start small. So it's just a small thing that you wouldn't normally do, but something you can manage. So you feel that stretch inside of you, but just commit to doing it. And then your tolerance for feeling uncomfortable just starts to stretch. Like you use the analogy stretching the dough. That's exactly what happens each time you take just a, a tiny step. So I just, yeah, I love that. I love that analogy that you use with the dough. I think that's awesome. I want to talk about those, well, some of the guests that you've had on your show so far, because we're talking about, you know, how to cultivate mindful practice. So I'm sure you've had some pretty cool guests on. What insights have you got? Like, have you got a favorite guest? Have you got a technique that you've learned over the journey that's, you're like, wow, that's pretty good. That's something that I could share with others and they could actually implement as well. Yeah, the, the the first set, so our starter pack, I'll tell you, is episode four where we talk to Sarah Rudell Beach. She's a certified mindfulness instructor. We talked to her about what is mindfulness. And I used to have this saying that uh, mindfulness will not uh, will not solve all the world's problems, but it'll just make the world's problems a little bit easier to manage. She had a different take on that. She said, we need mindfulness so that we don't just become, you know, numb to the world's problems. What we're doing is we're using mindfulness in order to develop awareness around what we can do in order to manage ourselves and regulate ourselves. And then in turn, be better humans who can create better societies. And that was a really good spin on that. And I really enjoyed that. And she also talked a lot about, we are often in doing mode and very rarely are we in being mode. And so mindfulness oftentimes feel lazy because you, you feel like you should be doing something, but you don't know that if your body or your brain is trying to communicate to you to simply just be if you're constantly in doing mode. And I just really love the way that she Sorry, can I, can I explain that. Can I pull you up? My smoke alarm's going off here. I'm just going to pause. Oh. This. <laughs> Talk about impromptu. Give me two seconds. I'm going to pause this. Okay.
All right, guys. False alarm. Lucky. So there's no fire here, which is good. Sorry, Billy. (laughs) No, that's all right. I just figured that my answers are so hot fire that they were going through the computer screen and blowing smoke. Either that or I'm full, you know, just blowing smoke. And that's what was happening. Funny, because my wife's not here. She's gone to pick up my son. And this door's closed. (laughs) You know, she can't see. I've got the shut door behind me. And it just it started going off and it never does that. So the only time it does that is from doing the barbecue outside and some of the smoke comes inside. So, but we're back. We're alive. So let's kick it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. I think I was talking about uh, being mode and, and doing mode. And, uh, and you know, Sarah just does a great job of that, uh, of explaining that. And then we also had. Dr. Yvette Erasmus, come on, and she talked about compassionate communication for deeper, more meaningful relationships. And that's the episode I start everybody at, because when we got done speaking to her, Brian and I just high-fived each other, because we're like, that is the greatest guest we're ever going to get. I mean, she was absolutely fantastic. We've had her on uh, another time, too, to talk about uh, finding purpose and meaning through self journey, which was a, a really fun conversation to have. And then we had a conversation about the language of mindfulness with Brett Hill. Brett Hill is a really cool dude. He's got a podcast called the language of mindfulness. I was a guest on that show as well. And we talked a lot about the somatic experience of a mindfulness practice, the somatic experience of anxiety. And that was one thing that I was able to better understand once I started my own mindfulness practice was that somatic experience, meaning that I could feel in my body when I was having an anxiety attack or when I was starting to have it. And once I started to feel those symptoms, to feel it in my body, then I was able to have self-dialogue and maintain the anxiety at the level it was at so it didn't bubble up. Like for me, it it worked like a thermometer where it would start in my stomach and it it just felt like it was twisting around and then it would sort of make its way up into my chest. And when it would do that, then I, I noticed that my breathing would start to change. And I noticed that I would hunch my my shoulders forward and and I would do this weird thing with my hands where I would crinkle up my hands. That's how I knew that I was having like a kind of a severe anxiety attack. So once I started to feel it in my stomach, I was able to maintain it there. And I can remember being in standing in front of classrooms talking about Romeo and Juliet and all of a sudden an anxiety attack would hit and I would be just having this dialogue with myself and saying, all right, you're having an anxiety attack right now. So let's keep this right here. Just kind of at, you know, about the middle of the stomach right here. And let's finish up this lesson. And then you can get the students working on something and you can go to your desk and you can do some breathing exercises to, to kind of lower that anxiety level, but let's just kind of keep it where it's at right now, rather than, being like, oh, I'm having, what's going on? What's, and not knowing what it was, but like, why am I feeling this way? Something is coming up. And then allowing allowing myself to, to get so frazzled that I would project that anxiety onto my students and create this toxic atmosphere, which is something that I was doing 
when I didn't know how to manage my anxiety and when I was really struggling with my mental health. So we also, uh, you know, I share that story too. Episode three, if people want to take a listen to that, I share that story of my mental health struggles and how mindfulness not only changed my life, but most likely saved it as well. So people can can check out those episodes if they if they're interested in learning more about mindfulness. We do a lot of conversations around emotional intelligence, but we also talk about relationships and dating and parenting. I'm, I'm not a parent, but Brian is a parent. So and we know that our, our listeners are parents too. So we want to get that. We want to bring in that perspective as well. And, and uh, you know, we talk about careers because those, these are things that, that people particularly who are our age are navigating right now and, and how to maybe make a career switch, how to, utilize LinkedIn. We did an episode with, with Jessica Fiesta George about how to maximize LinkedIn. And that's another great episode. If you're looking to maximize your network and grow your network, you can check out that one. I think that's episode 64. So we try to cover a lot of topics on the show and we try to bring in a lot of diverse and unique experiences because otherwise, you know, Brian and I are, are well aware of that if it's just two white guys talking about our experiences, then that's the echo chamber that, and, and that's, it, it limits our audience. And we want to make sure that we are appealing to a wide range of listeners because we have, there are millions of people out there who are between the ages of 35 and 65 navigating the second half of life. Yeah. You spoke about mindfulness saving your life or being, that important that it pretty much turned your life around. I just want to dumb this down because a lot of people perhaps haven't heard the term that are listening to this. These are people, some some of the guys, some of the girls listening to this are stuck. But would you say mindfulness is just being aware of your patterns or of your emotions? Like how would you sort of dumb it down to give the most basic, simple explanation as to what it is? Yeah, I believe it's John Kabat-Zinn, and, and he's kind of the the father of, of mindfulness research, right? So, I mean, mindfulness meditation has been around for thousands of years. Buddhists have been doing it. Hindus have been doing it. But in terms of actual research, John Kabat-Zinn is a great place to start. And I believe his definition is somewhere along the lines of mindfulness is the awareness there's setting an intention around the awareness around you without judgment and that's the hard part is is to be aware of your breath to be aware of your surroundings to be aware of what is going on around you and in you and sitting with it without judgment to allow it to just be and, you know, that's, that is the trick. Mm. And so a lot of people, when they're practicing mindfulness, I would used to have students and they would say, I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it wrong. It's like, if you're doing it, you're doing it right. Because mindfulness is all about failure. Mindfulness is all about resetting because you bring your attention to your breath and you just simply breathe. Inevitably, what's going to happen is your brain is going to, create a narrative or it's going to start thinking about something else. It's going to take you to the past. It's going to take you to the future. 
the beauty in the mindfulness practice is your awareness of when you've allowed yourself to do that and acknowledging it and just kind of waving it goodbye, knowing that you'll revisit that thought most likely a little bit later mm. and then bringing yourself kindly, gently back to your breath. And it's a simple practice, but it's complex at the same time. It's simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. And yeah, it just takes practice. The way I've implemented mindfulness over the last six years is really, I imagine myself as a, as the third person, like and that I'm someone standing outside of me that's looking at what's going on with my thought process, you know, the emotional states that I'm in and really just questioning it and, you said it beautifully, no judgment. So that, that is the key. Like it's just trying to assess what's actually happening without you know, jumping to any conclusions, without crucifying yourself, which we all do. We start kicking ourselves that emotion and it just continues and continues on. So, yeah, I love the way you were. And I would take that word assess out of it and I would just say because that's an action, that's a yeah. doing. And just letting yourself simply be, which is really hard because then a lot of the times that's when judgment pops in because you're like, oh, I should be productive right now. I'm allowing myself to be lazy. I'm allowing myself to be indulgent. Well, go ahead. Allow yourself to be indulgent and allow yourself to simply just be because what you might find is that when you're done with that with that practice, with that intention, that you have a new awareness of thoughts that you didn't know that you were having or creaks in your body that you didn't know that you were having. And then that's kind of where the assessment can come after you've allowed yourself to just be for a while. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question. And I, and I did ask this in the bio form that I sent you. And I love your answer. There's one one component to this that I really want to touch on. So I ask everyone at the end, what does it mean to be limitless? This podcast is all about overcoming limitations. So how do you define limitless as a person? And then you wrote back to me clarity and discipline. Now I love discipline. I think discipline is can be a harsh word at times, but it's such a necessary part of actually doing something that you don't want to do, which ultimately is going to change your life. You know, so do you want to touch on that? Do you just give me give me your your take on it? Yeah, and I would I would throw in consistency as well because discipline without consistency, that the, the two of them, are, you know, they have to coexist. And when I think about discipline, I think about that morning regiment that I have. Right, that's discipline. That is saying, all right, I'm committing to this each and every single day because. I know that I don't want to work out every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm not motivated. People talk too much about motivation. No, motivation. Yeah. Motivation is overrated. It's fleeting. It discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And discipline is really underrated. Discipline doesn't get, it's not as sexy as motivation, Right. But discipline is really key because that is more habit-forming. 
And discipline has to come with consistency because the two of them have to work hand in hand because you can't be disciplined without consistency and you can't be consistent without discipline. Yeah, that's awesome. I've never said that before like that. That's Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so the, the two of those have to to be together. And, and, you know, one thing that, that, and I I don't do a great job with this. I need to be more consistent with it. I need to be more disciplined with it as I, I create, I'm not a big fan of to do lists because to do lists are just about making you busy. So I, I created something that I call a chips list. And what chips means is complete hooray in progress start. So Complete means this has these three, four, five things, they have to get done today. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This has to get done today. And then when you're done with those three, four, five things, hooray, you celebrate because you put in a lot of hard work. And then if you have any time or if you have any energy at the end, in, or if you have any motivation, we'll put that there's where motivation can come in. Mm. If you have any motivation to progress something that's already in progress or start something and move that along, then you can go ahead and do that. But if you don't want to, you can look back on what you have completed. Mm. A to-do task, well, I could do you know, <laughs> three quarters of something or half of something and say, well, I did something. That's just that's just a busy work thing. Mm. But when you're talking about a chips list, you complete these are things that you have to complete and you can make a daily chips list or you can make a weekly chips list. I would say don't stretch it out beyond that because you want to keep it in a really tight window, but doing a chips list. And if you do it consistently and I'm owning up here that I don't do these consistently, but when I do do them, I'm far more productive. And so if I was more consistent with it, and I was more disciplined with creating a chips list, then I know that I would be more productive. With regards to clarity, this was, this was probably, this is without a doubt, this is way harder than, than, than discipline and consistency, mm-hmm. in yeah. my opinion, because for, for a long time, I think that we, we have we did an episode with Dr. Yolanda Holloway and Tiffany Bird about trash the checklist. And what they talk about is that there's this life checklist where you go to high school, then you go to college, then you get married, and then you have kids, and then you get your MBA or your master's degree, and you know you just you just keep going right on down this checklist without ever really stopping to say, well, what are you doing for you? Are you doing this because this is a societal expectation? Mm. And I think we run on that for a long time. Like uh, someone pointed out that like from ages five to 40, we're still really trying to figure out who we are, you know? And, and, and then by the time we hit 40, when we hit that midlife crisis, then if we have not been paying attention or we've allowed that checklist to dictate our behaviors, we lack meaning, we lack purpose, we lack uh, 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 any sense of fulfillment. And so then it takes longer for us to really find 
clarity on what it is that we want in our lives. And I think if we, if we truly want to be limitless, we have to be very clear and very honest with ourselves first, and then that allows us to be clear and honest in our communication with others. And that is important as well. And if we are able to clearly communicate with others, then and clearly communicate what it is that we want by being honest and not being impacted by other people's opinions that 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 are irrelevant. Maybe I, other other people's opinions are relevant. Um, people that we that we value, those people's opinions are important. But if we allow too much of the crowd, particularly what we see on social media, start to dictate that stuff then our vision becomes less and less clear. So that's where mindfulness comes in. We create a mindfulness practice that allows us to sift through the noise, to turn down the buzz of, of that din that is constantly around us so that we can tune into ourselves and gain a little bit more clarity. And one thing that, that Jill Daler and I are doing in this Reflect Learn, Pro, Reflect, Learn, Grow program is that each session starts with what we call an emotional inventory. And there's like 100 words that are there, 200 words that are there. And they're very specific emotional words. And we ask them, hey, circle what you're feeling right now as you come into this class circle 10, 15 words that you're feeling right now. And you can feel emotions on all ends of the spectrum, right? You can feel, you know, happiness, but you can also feel conflicted all at the same time. But maybe it's not happiness that you're feeling. Maybe you're feeling elation. That is the clearer word to use. So then we get better at communicating exactly how we are feeling so that we can create a clearer picture of what's going on within ourselves that we can then help us navigate and communicate to others what it is that we are feeling and what it is that in the intentions that we are setting for ourselves. So I think that's really powerful in terms of getting clarity is making sure that we understand the language of emotion. Well said. Well said. Where do people find you? What's the best way people can contact you? Obviously, all the show notes, there'll be all the contacts and websites and all that in here. But if someone wants to hit you up personally, maybe, is there a way they can do that? Absolutely. Feel free to email me at mindfulmidlifecrisis at gmail.com. I'm always checking email. I guess the most fun place to check out is Instagram at mindful underscore midlife underscore crisis. We are on Twitter. It's very rare that I ever check anything on Twitter, but from time to time, I check things on Twitter. So I'm at Mindful Midlife on Twitter. And we have a Facebook page. Just come and check out the Mindful Midlife Crisis podcast. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Like and follow us on wherever you listen to your podcasts as well. We're mostly on. We're on all the all the platforms. Mostly people listen to us on on either Castbox or Apple Podcast or Spotify. I don't know what people in your neck of the woods predominantly use, but 
we're on all the the socials. We're on all of the the platforms. And of course, you can sign up for our newsletter at www.mindfulmidlifecrisis.com. Every Sunday, we send out a new meditation along with gratitude journals that you can respond to just to kind of get you thinking about, hey, what are you grateful for? What made you feel happy or successful this week? What was one challenge that you faced and how did you navigate that challenge? So we put that in there. We also have opportunities that uh, that our guests are providing. We include that information in there as well because we're all about promoting the, the goodness that other people are doing. We know that they're you know, it's not just people like you and me out there who's putting good out into the world. Mm-hmm. We like to find all the people out there who are putting good out into the world and promote them, especially our guests, because they took the time to be on our show. And, and we're grateful for that. And, and I'm grateful that you invited me to be on yeah. your show, Simon. So thank you so much. Uh, look, thank you. I'm grateful you've come on. I've got some great insights myself. And, you know, when I put the notes together, I've written down some notes. You probably noticed I've been putting my head down and just taking down a few notes myself. So I'll make that part of the show notes as well. It's, yeah, it's just great to have people like yourself on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And hopefully we can connect again in the future. That sounds great. I'd love to make it to your end of the world over there. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. be in Korea. It's not, you know, it's not as not that, far not as far. as where I am right now. So you know, I could hop, yeah. skip, and jump on over to yeah. Australia. Just jump on a plane, man, and come down here, and I'll show you around. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe. And also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.